You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today we're going to talk about community, and it's fitting because this is a special episode of the podcast. Sarah, would you tell us about it? This is part of a podcast roundup. You and I were brainstorming ways that we could collaborate with other podcasters and also connect our listeners to really great content. Mm -hmm. And we came up with this idea. There are four other podcasts participating, and we are all releasing an episode this week on the topic of community. We want to start by telling you a little bit about the other podcasts. So when you get to the end of ours, if you want to hear some different takes about community or just check out some new podcasts, you'll know where to go. The first podcast is Minimalist Moms, which releases every other Monday. That podcast is hosted by Megan and Diane, and their tagline is to think more and do with less. So they are two regular moms living in suburbia with their families and integrating minimalist ideas into their lives. One of my favorite things about this podcast is that they are both just so accessible. Mm -hmm. So this is not the minimalism you've heard about that is a single white man in his mid-30s living in an urban setting. They're living their real lives in suburban houses, like I said. So I love how accessible they are. Agreed. The next one is Cohesive Home, and they release episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And they're usually nice and short, so it's a really good small dose of inspiration throughout the week. It is hosted by Melissa and Kate, and they talk about how to identify your values as a family and then how to live those out. They talk a lot about minimalism and how that can often help you achieve your goals as a family, Mm -hmm. but it's more broad than that. And they also talk about things like traveling full-time as a family or prioritizing music as a family or homeschooling and just these other ways that you can be being true to who you are as a family. So the third podcast is the Girl Next Door podcast, and our listeners have heard us talk about this podcast before. It comes out every other Wednesday and is hosted by Erica and Kelsey, and this is the podcast that inspired us to start our podcast. Yes. Every episode, Erica and Kelsey have a rotating topic to talk about, and they also have some regular segments that they bring back, including a really fun one called Neighborhood News because they used to be next door neighbors. The last podcast in the roundup is 25% Friends, and it comes out every other Thursday. It is hosted by Sarah and Kim, and they are two friends living in the D.C. area. And they say on their show that they're 100% friends, but only 25% alike. And that really comes through in the show because they always have a really different take on whatever they're talking about, which makes it really fun because you're getting this variety of perspectives on things. So if you found us through the Roundup, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Sarah and I met in college more than a decade ago now. Yep. And we started this podcast based on our phone conversations that we've been having ever since then, because we love to talk to each other, especially about books and food. So every episode, we start by catching up on life lately, and then we each review a book that we've been reading before we get to our main topic. And those range from things like Harry Potter and guilty pleasures to minimalism and household management. Then we end the show by sharing something we've been cooking or something we've been eating that someone else has cooked for us. So before we start chatting about the role of community in our lives, let's catch up on Life Lately. Sarah, what is new with you? I have been really enjoying going for walks. Yes. This is something that I used to do starting in middle and junior high school 
when I was stressed out and overwhelmed, I would just take my Discman, put on my headphones. <laughs> I love that you reminded me about Discmans just now. <laughs> and go for a long walk through the neighborhood. And I found it so relaxing and refreshing. It's also something I used to do when HP was a baby. Mm. Every morning before his morning nap, we would walk the neighborhood just so that I could be out of the house Mm -hmm. at least once in the heat of the summer and get some exercise. But since having both kids, I've really fallen away from the habit. And I recently came to the conclusion that going to the gym was not a happening thing in my life. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be the person who was getting up to go to the gym at 6 a.m. And right now, I just want the extra hour of sleep. Mm -hmm. And I was fighting that for a while, and now I'm not. (laughs) So... A great solution has been taking these walks that are, I feel like, refreshing in more ways. Mm -hmm. It may not be as intense of exercise as I would be getting at the gym, but I feel like it's more rejuvenating for my whole person, Mm -hmm. that I feel more mental clarity when I'm done, in addition to feeling great that I got out of the house. Yeah. How long are you walking for? It's been depending on the day. Minimum 20 minutes. Nice. Maximum an hour, I would say. And are you mostly walking solo or are you pushing a stroller? I've been trying to go by myself when I can and just listen to a podcast. And when Neil's available to be watching the kids, I do that. And then some of it has been trying to incorporate it by picking up E with a stroller Mm -hmm. and doing a walk leading up to that when I normally would have taken the bike because it's faster, Mm -hmm. but trying to stretch out that time and utilize it for exercise. Nice. I also love walking for exercise. Mm -hmm. That is my main form of exercise as well. It's a good one. What have you been up to lately? I cut off eight inches of hair. Yay. I hadn't had a haircut since Plum was born. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was just growing and growing it. And I maybe had a trim in there somewhere. I was cutting my own bangs for a while, so that's sort of a haircut, but... Mm -hmm. My hair is so thick, it needs a little more attention than that in terms of like thinning and shaping. And it just got to the point where it was this unwieldy mane and it was not looking cute at all. And I was hot and it felt like it was weighing me down. And so I found some photos of a just below chin length bob for wavy hair. And I took them in and I actually saw a different stylist than I have been seeing. Because my stylist couldn't get me in for six weeks. Mm. And when you make a decision like this, like you just need to have it happen right then. Yes. So I tried a new person who also was named Abby and she did awesome. I'm really happy with it. My head feels light. I use less shampoo. It's amazing. The other thing I've been thinking about is all of the things that that old hair saw, you know, so like Mm -hmm. thinking about. I had that hair while I was still working at a job that I didn't love. Mm. And I had that hair, you know, while I was pregnant and in the tough early days of having a newborn. And so I feel a little bit like I said goodbye energetically as well. And I love it. That's a great way to feel. Now let's talk about what we've been reading. Sarah, what have you been reading? I just finished the book, Hum If You Don't Know the Words, by Bianca Murray. I got this book off of Instagram from Bethany's library. She has great book recommendations, and she works at a bookshop only about an hour from where I live. So cool. 
It is a novel set in South Africa during and in the year following the Soweto Uprising, so 1976 to 1977, and it alternates between two characters, Robin and Beauty. Robin is nine years old when we meet her, and she is orphaned right at the start of the story when her parents are murdered. Mm. And then Beauty comes to Johannesburg to search for her missing daughter who was participating in the protests. I really liked the characters. I liked being able to go from the perspective of this innocence and way of looking at things in a really uncomplicated manner, contrasted with Beauty, who it turns 50 over the course of the book, and the things she has seen and experienced as a Black woman in South Africa. And so seeing those two perspectives, I think, made for a unique story. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't like is I wasn't quite sure how to feel about the portrayal of beauty overall. Mm-hmm. I kept coming back to Roxane Gay's book, Bad Feminist. Did you read that? I haven't read it yet. It's a really good book. And one of her chapters is an essay about the book, The Help. Mm-hmm. And in general, when white people are writing characters of color and the ways in which those characters are often oversimplified and accessories to the story in a Mm. way that is disempowering. And as I was reading this book, I just kept thinking about that essay. Mm. I actually tried to grab it at the library so I could reread it after Mm -hmm. reading this book, but there was a wait list. So I haven't gotten a chance to do that. And I don't know what Roxane Gay would say about the portrayal of beauty. And I don't know that it would have all the problems that she saw in The Help. Mm -hmm. But when I read The Help, I really loved it and thought it was this beautiful story. And then reading that, I thought, wow, I had never considered that. Mm -hmm. I had never seen it as this young white woman coming in and solving all these Black people's problems. Mm -hmm. Like it was there to make white people feel good at the end. Oh, yeah. About, oh, we're not racist and look at us rising above. And yeah, it's the white savior model of racism. I felt that a little bit in this book and that beauty was portrayed in this almost idealized way. She was educated when most black people weren't at the time because she was able to go to school before they stopped allowing blacks to be educated. Hmm. You know, she was so forgiving. It felt too simple in a lot of ways. Sounds kind of unrealistic, too. Yes. And there were some characters who had more of that nuance, and I feel like we're showing the more complicated nature of it. Mm -hmm. But I wish that had been more within the characters as opposed to in separate characters. Yeah. And I felt a little bit beat over the head with the idea of we're all the same. Race doesn't matter. Mm. We're all just people. Why can't everyone understand that? I just felt it was a little oversimplified Mm -hmm. and tied up in a bow in a way that didn't feel realistic to me. Yeah. I like books that make you sit with the darker side of human nature and make you sit with that part of yourselves. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this book had that happily ever after in a way that didn't feel true to me. So would you recommend it then? I'm really not sure. I enjoyed the book. It was beautifully written. It made me think, but I still have all those questions about it. Yeah. I know she's writing a follow-up novel right now. And so I'm really curious to see where she takes it. Mm -hmm. because apartheid keeps going for many years after this point. And I wonder if she kind of goes into a darker place with her next book or if she keeps with the same tone. Mm. And I know we have a couple listeners from South Africa, and 
I would really love to hear, one, what you thought about this book. Yeah. And I would also love if you have recommendations of other South African literature that we should be reading, Mm -hmm. and especially if you have recommendations written by people of color. Reading this book made me want more, and I would love it if anyone has suggestions for that. What have you been reading, Abby? So I just finished The Queen of the Tearling trilogy, and these are written by Erica Johansson. The first one is The Queen of the Tearling. The second is The Invasion of the Tearling, and the third is The Fate of the Tearling. This is another epic fantasy trilogy. I seem to be in the mood for these kinds of books, and I'm committing to them three at a time. (laughs) Is it a YA series? Did you already say that? I don't know if it's really aimed for YA. It is fairly violent. Okay. Which some YA books can be. I think an older YA reader would be fine. Okay. So I liked these books for the most part. I still have some questions about the end, but I'm not going to say too much about that because I think if people want to read them, it's really important to not hear about it beforehand. So the things that I liked were that these books were really compelling. I listened to them on audiobook and I zoomed through them. The characters are interesting and they're complicated. Most of them feel fairly dimensional and fairly real. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are distinctions between good guys and bad guys, but within those groups, there's a lot of difference of morality and ethics and choices, which is really cool. I love that. Me too. And strong female characters too, which is awesome. That how the magic works in the world is really interesting. I love how different authors deal with magic in different ways. And when you first start reading, you think that these are, you know, set in like medieval times kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that it's dystopian and it's in the future. Mm. Okay. So there's some elements of magic and time travel kind of that go into that. Okay. Which was really interesting. So as I already said, they're pretty violent, both sexual violence and other types of violence. So that was not my favorite. And I am not sure about the ending still. Hmm. So listeners, if you have read these books, let's chat. Maybe on Instagram or on our website or something because I have a lot of questions. I am intrigued by this series. I'm usually a big fan of dystopian fantasy Mm -hmm. trilogies yeah but I've been a little bit off of that genre lately so I might save them until I'm really in the mood if you like this kind of thing I think it's worth reading but I do think that they're a commitment so I don't know that I would recommend them for everyone okay let's move on to our topic for today community we are both part of many different communities and I know At least for me, I feel like there's a lot of value in my life that's brought by the communities that I'm part of. Let's start off by talking more generally about what we think about as community and what our ideal communities are. I had a lot of trouble pinpointing exactly what I think community means Mm. because I think community and friendship often get conflated in my mind. Yeah. And so at first I was thinking a lot about friendship and my friends are part of my community, but I think of community as being something broader and something that I often 
don't choose that mm. I'm part of a lot of communities by default. Mm-hmm. Like I'm now part of HP's school community. Right. And part of my neighborhood. And I guess we chose the house that we live in, but we didn't choose all of our neighbors. That's just the community that's available to us Mm -hmm. or the community that's there. So in that way, it feels more like family where you don't get to choose everyone in your family and you don't get to choose everyone that's in your communities. And there are pros and cons to that. Yeah. Because an ideal community to me is made up of a diverse group of people. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that good communities challenge you to grow Mm -hmm. and can push you in ways that maybe your friends wouldn't. Yeah. That sort of non-choice aspect to me feels like the main thing that differentiates it from friendship. Mm -hmm. You know, if we were really going to separate them, the fact that you're not choosing who you live near or who your kid goes to school with or even who shows up in your church. Right. That you don't have control in it. You decide how much you're going to participate or not. So the other part of it that I think of when I think of community is that there can be varying levels of commitment. So there's a community where we live that's made up of us and all the other people who live here. And so we've committed to living in our place, but the level of engagement we have with that community can differ based Mm -hmm. on what we need from it and what our neighbors around us also need. I think in an ideal community, commitment levels would be well matched. Mm -hmm. So the other community members would meet you with a similar level of commitment, whether it's high or low. That can help things run smoothly. Right. I think the other aspect of ideal community to me is that it provides support when you need it and also offers a sense of place and belonging. Mm. Yeah, support is a big aspect of community for me as well. And I think we'll talk more about that as we get into the specifics. Definitely. Let's start talking about specifics by chatting a bit about what communities we see ourselves in in our lives right now. So I've already mentioned a couple of them our neighbors, and specifically our block. We live on a dead-end street, and so it feels like a pretty contained community there. Mm -hmm. And then also the school community, where HP just started going to school. And then e-school community, too. I think of that less because it's so much smaller, but that is still a community we're part of. Mm -hmm. And then in the broader Bloomington, my book club is a great community, and also the church that we started going to about a year ago. And then I also feel like I have a community of people from the past. So Mm -hmm. I think of my college friends as still being a community that I'm part of. And we are not in as close of contact. But I know that if I needed something, they would be there. Mm -hmm. The first communities that I thought of were online ones. Because I am home full time with Plum, those online communities are something that I really cherish. Like you, we have a small little unit that we live in, which is our triplex. We live with two other families, and I feel like we're a self-contained community. I have virtual book clubs, and we're about to start a local book club, which is very exciting. The community that we live in, Carborough, which I've talked about before, and then friends near and far. So do you think that there are best practices when you're thinking about building community? And is it possible to cultivate it? Or 
does it just sort of arise? I think there are definitely best practices. Some of the things you mentioned before about being sensitive to other people's needs, very clear communication, and being really honest with yourself about what you need from a community Mm -hmm. and knowing where you are with what you are able to offer to that. I think it is really rare and very special when community just spontaneously happens. Mm -hmm. I think that it is often something that requires work and not work in a bad way, but just being aware and putting yourself out there in much the same way that we talked about in our friendship episode, that Mm -hmm. often you have to be willing to be the person who goes to meet the new neighbor, who organizes a community event, who is the connector of people, who starts the book club. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've learned that I can't just wait around for that to happen and for community to happen to me, that if I want it in my life, then I have to be being proactive in seeking it out. Mm -hmm. I think the huge advantage to that is if you are the one getting it started and putting a lot of effort in, you can often shape it to fit your needs totally in a way that you can't when you're a more passive participant. And I think there are different things too. Like I feel like my book club is a cross between a community and friendship. Mm -hmm. It feels a little broader to me because it's a broader circle of people that are part of it, but it's so intentional being a part of it that it feels a little bit different. Yeah, I think intentionality is a huge part of community. What I'd written was that committing to it is one of the best ways to build community Mm. and to find other people who are willing, like I said, to meet you in that commitment. And then you touched on communication, but I think that is huge. I've had experiences where we weren't all on the same page because we hadn't communicated clearly and respectfully about what our expectations were and feelings really got hurt. In most cases, it's hard to survive that as a community. So I think communication is absolutely crucial. Sarah, what benefits would you say community brings to your life? I think the biggest ones are that feeling of connection and rootedness Mm -hmm. and the sense of being known Mm. that feels different than friendship to me. Mm -hmm. There is so much overlap, but I'm thinking of when I was in Austin and I was part of a food cooperative there. Mm -hmm. For those who are in the Austin area, it's the Yard to Market Cooperative and it's a growers cooperative. I met the people that became part of that right when I moved to Austin. Mm -hmm. And then I continued to do work with them after having HP and E. And it was so nice to be known in a way that was not connected to me as a parent. Mm -hmm. And that one type of community that I haven't mentioned is the community of parents and the community of families in this exact same phase of life. And that has been so crucial to me to have that support and to be friends with other people who just get it and know exactly what's happening and can commiserate and share the load in that way. Mm -hmm. But it was also so valuable to be part of a community that was centered around local food Mm -hmm. and not around parenting. Yeah. (laughs) And that my value to that community had nothing to do with me as a parent. And I think that that's something that communities can offer is they can offer you a place to be a different part of yourself. And not that you're not that person with other groups, but I felt known in a different way when I was doing co-op activities Mm -hmm. and I felt seen in a different way. 
the same is true of my community of fellow parents when I was in Austin is I felt known and seen there in a different way too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's so important to have these different overlapping groups because I am all those things and those communities could support me in different ways. It made me feel like parts of myself weren't being lost, Mm -hmm. that the importance of my transition to being a parent was seen and acknowledged, Mm -hmm. but the importance of who I was and am outside of that was also seen and acknowledged. I love this idea of communities helping you feel seen. When you're talking about these collective groups, like your parent friends or your community of people doing Yard to Market in Austin, you felt recognized by the whole group, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something else that's special about community that differentiates it from just friendship. It's more of a broad recognition from the whole, from the collective, rather than us and our friendship, me saying, hey, I see you, we're both parenting. And I think that's the kind of validation and knowingness that we need is something that's a little bit broader than the one-on-one. And when that happens in a community, that that is one of the huge benefits. And I think that it also feels like it relieves some of the burden to be participating in these different communities. And I think that a lot of starting to go to church again, Neil and I really struggled to find a church that was a good fit for us. And Mm. I wanted to be sure that when we were going to church that I wasn't, after church was over, saying to my kids, oh, you heard this, but we actually think X. Or, Mm -hmm. oh, they said Y, but we think Z. Not that I'm trying to have my kids come out thinking exactly the way that I am, Mm -hmm. but I also don't want the overarching principles of the place we are going once a week to be in conflict with our values. Right. And I think it's so important for questions to be welcomed and for them to have a place to explore what it means to be human in this safe place where those kind of questions are welcomed. Part of my motivation for going is I want my kids to have other adults in their life Mm -hmm. who are interested in them and invested in them and who they can go to with questions as they get older and who they can trust and who they can talk to about these big things that maybe they don't necessarily feel as comfortable talking to me when they're 14 and 15 and 16. Right. And so investing in that community and being part of it feels like it's relieving some of the pressure of teaching my kid everything and Mm -hmm. being their only sounding board and wanting to be that for other families too. Mm -hmm. So I guess to me, the the real benefit is this idea that I don't have to do everything. Right. You know, I don't have to be everything for my kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it comes to like parenting groups, I don't have to think that I can do it all or Mm -hmm. I don't have to do it all, that there are other people who are there to support you. Yeah. I think that's so valuable, especially in our culture that really prizes this individual mentality and this idea that we can do it all. I think that communities push back against that idea Mm -hmm. and say, no, and you shouldn't. You shouldn't try and do it all Mm -hmm. because that's not healthy. And you don't have to because here we are. Mm -hmm. I mean, what that makes me think of more than anything else is the childbearing year, that time right before you have a baby and then the really hard time of having a really little baby. It just is so nice to have a community that will support you through that. And I think back on having Plum and how little we had to cook for ourselves in those early days and just how thankful I feel about that. And... 
how excited everybody was before she was born to know who she was Mm -hmm. and to meet her and how excited everybody was when she was born and then the support that we felt through times to come. Having both my kids felt like the time where I needed to use that net that I had built through the communities. Mm -hmm. And it's always nice to know it's there, but it feels so raw then. Mm -hmm. I think that I still do tend more toward, oh, I can do things on my own or I can handle it. And I couldn't and I wasn't. And there were so many people ready to step up Mm -hmm. and feeling really loved and recognized in those times. Yeah. So let's switch gears. It's not all rainbows and unicorns in communities. (laughs) There can be challenges and there can be pitfalls. So let's talk a little bit about those. I think one of the most challenging parts is you don't get to choose who's in your community. And that is good because Mm -hmm. you get to form relationships with people that you wouldn't have otherwise. And I think there are so many great things that can come from that and relationships that you wouldn't have sought out, but that are beneficial and that you really enjoy. Mm -hmm. But there are also people who can be very challenging and that just come with the community. Mm -hmm. And that being a part of the community means accepting that you don't have control over all of that. And I think our personalities are such that that can be hard for us. Yeah. (laughs) For me, the challenges are... And I've talked about this some already, but not being on the same page about what the community is Mm -hmm. can be a real challenge, whether that's the structure of the community or how open and flexible it is or what sort of commitment the other community members have. And when there are differences, those can be hard to overcome. Also, I do feel like there is time required to both be a part of a community And build a community. Yes. I just feel like time is at a premium in my life in general. So sometimes I feel like I'm having to make choices not to participate because I don't feel like I can do it the way I want to in the time that I have available. Recently, I've been feeling like I have been saying yes too much Mm. and that I've been idealizing being part of communities. Right. I want to start a neighborhood book club and I want to do more potlucks with our neighborhood and I want to have another regular potluck with friends and just all of these things. And they're all good. They're all good ideas. They sound amazing. Yes. But they take time and energy and mental energy to to execute and participate in and Mm -hmm. my plate does feel very full right now Mm -hmm. and I think part of that is that moving to a new place I always wanted to say yes because I was Mm -hmm. working on building up my communities and building up my friendships and I never wanted to turn down an opportunity and now I'm at the point where I have already said yes to a lot of commitments that when I start saying yes to more it's becoming too much I am also reading the book Essentialism Mm. by Greg McEwen, Mm -hmm. which is talking a lot about this. And it's coming to me at a good time in my life because I think I'm at the point where I could be going in a bad direction of overcommitting myself. And Mm -hmm. it's helping me want to really evaluate what communities are bringing value to me Mm -hmm. and am I bringing value to right now? And how can I make sure that that continues to happen and that it doesn't become diluted because I'm so drained? That's a really tough one. So maybe you don't want to talk about adding more communities to your life, Sarah, but do you feel like any particular communities are missing in your life? 
The one thing I feel like is really missing right now is having more couple friends that Neil and I would hang out with together. Mm. I feel like I have developed a lot of communities for me Mm. and then some for our whole family, but there's been fewer for me and Neil. And I think part of that is that us having time together is fairly limited. Mm -hmm. And so then it's hard to want to use that time to be investing in other friendships with other adults together because I feel like I want to just spend that time with him. Mm -hmm. But I think it would be really great if we did have more couple friends we could hang out with and play games with or go get a drink with. Mm -hmm. It's that time thing again. And it's also hard to find that right alchemy of partnerships Mm -hmm. that are able to be in community together and I think it happens much more often where some members of that group really hit it off while others don't it's hard to find that perfect so rare yes and I think it's hard because we had such a great community at Hendrix too Mm. that I have really high expectations yes of just that ease of everybody gets along and we had lots of couple friends there and just a really great community. It's a lot to live up to. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. What about you? Do you feel like you're missing any communities? We do not have very many people of other generations in our community. Mm -hmm. I mean, for that reason, we've been thinking about and trying churches, but It's really hard for me to make the time commitment when I feel like I'm rich in community, I'm rich in friendship already. It's just a little bit hard to justify right now. And I think some of that is that we're not to the point yet where we're doing a whole lot of religious education Mm -hmm. (laughs) with Plum. Right. That it feels like the things that we need to be teaching her, we are, and we're up to the task. But I think that... A church-like setting is probably in our future. Yeah, I think it's really nice thinking about the communities I'm creating for my kids, too. Mm. Because I think you and I both talked in the friendship episode about how nice it was to have the church community Mm -hmm. where it was so separate from your school community. So you can have one thing happening socially at school and you get sort of a blank slate. Yes, a blank slate to come to church. And so that's something we've really just started thinking about of what kind of communities do we want our kids to be a part of and how do we facilitate that? Such a good point. Okay, let's end by talking about community dreams. These could be things that will happen in the future or (laughs) maybe not, but it would be amazing if they did. What are yours, Sarah? I have always been intrigued by the idea of co-housing. Are you the one who turned me on to co-housing? I don't know, but I also love it. I have always loved that idea where living in a commune is not appealing to me. That is too much community. (laughs) I need a lot of personal space and a lot of autonomy and decision making. Mm -hmm. A lot of control, I guess you would say. (laughs) Let's be honest. So the idea of co-housing where you actually own your own house, Mm -hmm. but then have these benefits of an area where you can eat together. So for listeners who may not know, the idea of co-housing is a group of people living together. You all buy your own. It's often townhouses or Mm -hmm. smaller homes. They usually face a central common green area. Mm -hmm. And the parking is usually on the perimeters. So the idea is that that naturally has a lot of community happen because you're out, you're walking, the kids are playing. There's not 
driveways and Mm -hmm. things separating you as much from what's going on. There's also usually a common house and there's meals a varying number of times a week, depending Mm -hmm. on the co-housing community that you can participate in and things like tool libraries and in the common house, there's often a guest house where when you have people come visit, they can stay there. Mm-hmm. It just seems like the best of all of the worlds. <laughs> I just love the concept. I would love to have dinner just planned by the community a few nights a week where we can just show up that and would be great. chat with people and be social and go back to my house and not have to clean it. And obviously, there's a <laughs> rotation and you help cook some nights. and You have to clean sometimes. <laughs> Yes, but it just feels like such a great idea. Mm -hmm. But that is not the housing situation we are currently living in. (laughs) But what I would really love to do on a more practical level is create more of that feel within our own neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I love our block. We have great neighbors. And I feel like that's where we get a lot of the multi-generational community Mm -hmm. in our life is Mm -hmm. from our neighbors. Just little things like HP has set up a secret mailbox with our next door neighbor. (laughs) who's a woman probably our parents' age, and he read about it in a Fancy Nancy book and decided he wanted to create one. So he has a little basket and sends her mail every day, and then she sends a mail back. I love that. I do too. You know, we have a block party once a year, and there's things that I want to be more intentional about. What can I do to help foster that? Mm-hmm. And what what can I do to kind of take that to the next level? Because mm-hmm. I feel like we just really lucked out going to a neighborhood that already has a lot of things in place and just has a really great group of people. I love the idea of co-housing in general. But also, you know, if you're not in a co-housing community, I love that you're going to try and bring some of that energy and ideas into where you do live the dream it is the dream I think I would also love co-housing for myself at some point in the future but my big dream that's unlikely to ever happen Mm -hmm. but which truly sounds amazing would be a co-housing type thing maybe a commune but the points you make are good about control let's be honest yeah but with all of my friends from different phases of my life living there together My BFF from high school would join our college friends, would join my friends Mm -hmm. from Nashville and my friends from here. And we would all live on an idyllic farm, walking distance to downtown. (laughs) We would have the goats, the ducks, maybe chickens, an amazing garden. The children would play. We could hang out as long as we wanted. Andrew would brew all the beer. It would be amazing. What a great dream. I think that's the end of our community talk for today. Listeners, we would love to hear from you about the communities that are important in your life, your dreams for the future, community-wise, and the benefits and challenges that you have experienced. Let's wrap up like we always do by talking about what we've been eating. I've been eating chickpea curry special for you Sarah the chickpea lover of our podcast (laughs) I do love curries so this is a really special curry because this is what our doula brought us Mm. right after we had plum and so every time I cook it I think of that time and how hungry I was (laughs) and how good it tasted and how loving she was to bring it to us it's potatoes carrots chickpeas, green peas, 
the most recent time that I made it, I cooked the carrots and potatoes together in the Instant Pot to speed things Mm. up, which was awesome. How long did you do that for? 10 minutes. Okay. I cut them up to like quarter size pieces, so smallish pieces, and just put a little water in. I'm always scared it would go to mush is my fear of cooking vegetables in the Instant Pot, so I should probably experiment. It came out surprisingly well, still very dimensional, but cooked an appropriate amount. There's also an onion, which I didn't mention. So I sauteed the onion, added those pre-cooked things, the chickpeas I also did in the Instant Pot, and then added the frozen peas so that they would thaw. And then the sauce is coconut milk, turmeric, curry paste, palm sugar, and salt. So once all the vegetables are cooked in whatever way you cook them, you mix up that sauce and pour it on and just let it heat up basically. So it's really easy and quick. We served it over brown rice, but you could do it solo or with a different grain if you'd prefer. Very hearty, very delicious. Sounds very good. I would eat my chickpeas that way. Sarah, what have you been eating? We recently celebrated Neil's birthday. And in the fall, right around his birthday, (laughs) he has been dairy-free. He discovered last year that dairy aggravates his seasonal allergies. Oh, no. Yeah. And last year when he cut it out, it was just night and day. So sad that he can't eat dairy, but really good that he discovered it because he was just miserable for most of a month. But now on his birthday, we can't eat dairy. Mm. And as I was asking him what he wanted to eat for his birthday, he said, all the good foods have dairy. To which I said, you're right. Because I've been feeling really sad about not eating the dairy myself. (laughs) Sad, but true. So as I was thinking of what kind of dessert we could have, first I was checking out some different vegan recipes because there's lots of ways to eat dairy-free desserts. Right. But then I remembered that the pumpkin cake recipe that I've gotten from my mom is naturally dairy-free. Awesome. That it uses oil and eggs, but no dairy. So made those and they are so freaking good. They're just really delicious. And I have known that because I have made this recipe many, many times. It's Mm -hmm. so easy. You just put all the things in the bowl and stir it and then put it in the pan and bake it. So is it basically just like pumpkin bread, but more sugar? Probably. And the recipe calls for two cups of sugar and We just do one, and I think that is plenty sweet. Yeah. But it's more airy than pumpkin Mm. bread. Pumpkin bread is Mm -hmm. so dense, and this feels a little bit more spongy, a little bit lighter. Hmm. But it's just eggs, sugar, pumpkin, oil, some kind of leavening agent, baking soda, Mm -hmm. cinnamon. I think that's it. It's really simple. So I made cupcakes because we currently don't have a good cake pan. Our cake Mm -hmm. pan is being used for kinetic sand right now, and it's sort of... (laughs) falling apart in other ways anyway Mm -hmm. so we made cupcakes and we normally use cream cheese frosting Mm -hmm. but that is out because (laughs) the dairy situation so I ended up buying frosting which is something I never do so I read all the ingredients one tenth of which I understood but none (laughs) of them were dairy (laughs) so I went ahead and got it and put that on the cupcakes and It's not my favorite because it tastes like palm oil, I think, is the main ingredient as opposed to butter. I prefer buttery frosting. But it was fine. The kids loved it. Neil liked it. The cupcakes were yum. Nice. 
That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. Remember to check out all of our pod roundup partners, Cohesive Home, The Girl Next Door Podcast, Minimalist Moms, and 25% Friends. As Sarah said, we will link to all of their websites in our show notes, which you can find on our website, friendlierpodcast.com. And we'll also share their Instagram profiles on our Instagram at friendlierpodcast. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. I was actually like, I hope there was something usable in all of that. <laughs> let's just, we let's talked just a lot. <laughs> we, we said a lot of words. We often do. Do you want me to start or do you do you feel like you can I'll go start. For it? Okay. But maybe jump in sooner to save me from myself. <laughs> I was a little surprised with the direction you went, but I was like, well. Let's get our let's get our game podcasting face on here. It's nothing if not full of good outtake out outtakes this episode. I hope so. We're at an hour and fifteen minutes of record time. It's like the opposite of what we've been saying. It'll be fine. Turmeric turmeric? Is that how you say that? Turmeric, I think. Is it? Let's just Google it. I think it's T U M E R I C turmeric. Turmeric. Really? Yes. My mind is blown. <laughs> Maybe you should just start. I'm just going to start. Let me start. Okay. <laughs> you're talking. You're talking so slowly. <laughs> just roll with it. We rallied. So. We're gonna okay, I it. like it. Do you want me to do another wrap-up sentence, or do you think the one that I had before is usable? I, can't. I feel like I did one before. I have no idea. I'm sure you did one before. <laughs> <laughs> we have all the things in this episode.